MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. Today, the Stop the Steal campaign is linked to Roger Stone and Steve Bannon. Biden delivers remarks on the transition. Emily Murphy has still not signed off on the Biden transition. Joe Biden says more people may die if Trump and the GOP don't coordinate. And early data show the Moderna vaccine is 94.5% effective. I'm your host, AG. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, happy Monday. How are you? I'm good. Um, it's, 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 isn't it Tuesday? <laughs> Wait, what day is Tuesday? It's Tuesday, right? No, I think it's Monday. I mean, today's Monday, but doesn't this drop on Tuesday? Oh, true. Sorry, everyone. Time travel. Friends. <laughs> yes, this comes out on Tuesday. We're stuck in two. We're stuck on two. We're stuck on Monday. It happens. It's forty. It's forty-eight hours this week. We're gonna skip Tuesday and then go right to Wednesday. Because we did have a show on Monday. Yes. Sorry. My bad. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Oh <laughs> man, it's been a day though. I know. How are you, Ag? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, like I was telling you earlier, I watched Boys on the Side earlier, and now uh. I'm just in a mood. So, um, although I did watch this YouTube clip of of something from Fleabag, and now I'm also energized by oh, that. Yeah. I don't know. You're, I love that you're just taking like a, a, a theatrical speedball right now, just like an eight ball <laughs> of like a Red Bull and vodka. That's basically what you just did to your system with entertainment. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Just an upper and a downer. Well, you know what? Hopefully Fleabag helped. And it was worse over the weekend because I did Queen's Gambit and then I watched the Nexium documentary. So it was like, <laughs> hey, okay, um, why not? Uh, it's nice, though, with uh, quote unquote sleepy Joe Biden uh, being the president elect to be able to watch television. I haven't watched anything in three years, so I'm I'm very excited to catch up on everything. It really is. It really is nice. But, you know, Sleepy Joe also woke the fuck up. I mean, he is fired up, which I'm loving. Yes. Loving. Yes. But in a very calm way, right? He's like, right? look, here's, here, here's what the fuck we're doing. And uh, get ready. I still love every time Kamala introduces him, her face lights up. It is the sweetest thing. It is. It's so good. And they are just so fantastic together. They're going to be incredible. I'm so excited. Okay. Whew, we just have to get through the next six scaramoochies. <laughs> we'll be good to go. <laughs> uh, all right. We do have a lot of headlines uh, as usual, as usual. So uh, let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So the lead story today is from ABC. The top General Services Administration official, GSA, who's blocking President-elect Joe Biden's transition team from accessing government resources ahead of his inauguration, appears to be looking for a new job, according to messages obtained by ABC. That's right. Emily Murphy, head of the GSA, recently sent that message to an associate inquiring about employment opportunities in 2021. Hey, hey. A move that some in Washington interpreted as at least tacitly acknowledging that the current administration soon will be gone. <laughs> now, so she she is conceding. <laughs> She's conceding 
But she's not doing her job. I feel like she, I know that I've done, said this before on the show. I feel like she's the Kim Davis of the GSA. Like, you she know, you're is. supposed to sign the damn things. Just sign the oh, damn she, things. It's the law. She is. Now, Murphy has the power to decide or, quote unquote, ascertain, right, when the election results are evident enough to trigger a transition of power, allowing the winning team access to career staff, buildings, agencies, internal government information, including national security matters and plans for administering a code. COVID-19 vaccine would be helpful, right? Because we're all dying right now. Donald Trump appointed Murphy in 2017, and she's so far refused to certify Biden as the election's winner. Trump responded to a November 5th tweet related to Veterans Small Business Week. I'm a veteran. I don't know what the fuck this is. (laughs) Anyway, on Sunday, he tweeted, great job, Emily. So he that's his little signal to, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, keep doing what you're doing. Right. And you'll get a pardon because back in 2018, she lied to Congress. Right. She lied to Quigley when Quigley was like, hey, did you ever meet with uh, Trump or Kushner or anybody about the FBI moving their headquarters or stopping the FBI from moving their headquarters? Like, No, no. Uh, All this came from the direction of the FBI, and that is 100% bullshit, and she lied to them, and that's a a section, 18 section, uh, 1001. That's a felony. So, of course, he's, like, holding that over her head. That's what mob, that's what mafia people do, right? They get you, you commit crimes, then they have crimes on you, and then... They are indebted to you. What, what is she updating her LinkedIn, though? I mean, what is that interview going to be like for her next job? Like, what are your strengths? And she's like, not doing my fucking job. That's one of my strengths. I just, I just don't do my job. Is that, a, is that a deal breaker here? I just don't do my job. For reals. Like, <laughs> I'm just too perfect. That's my weakness. You ever heard that shit? Anyway, uh, I used to interview hundreds of people for government jobs, and that was the number one answer. No, that would drive me crazy. I'd be like, that's it. Interview over. Let's go. (laughs) Out, out. Just out. Yeah. Congressional Democrats have accused Murphy of obviously undermining the transition of power and could subpoena her for testimony on Capitol Hill to explain what the fuck. Now, of course, we know what happens when Democrats subpoena people. Nothing. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Unless they change the rules, which Ted Lieu has hinted at. Like, I'm going to change the rules, yo. I'm going to make it so uh, we can fine you and maybe lock you up. If you don't, we're going to, like, exercise our inherent contempt uh, powers. But that still hasn't happened. So, you know, I'm kind of like, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I love that she's conceded. She's looking for another job while saying that Trump doesn't need to be looking for another job. That's that's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) And Biden's advisors have threatened legal action. And I've talked about this. I've told you about this. Biden should sue the GSA if they continue to stonewall the transition. That's delaying access to classified information in addition to updates on national security and potential vaccine rollout plans. And even Lindsey Graham crackers has been like, they should have probably intelligence updates you know like even he concedes so it's just absolutely bananas and as as trump continues to purge top members of his administration with whom he's long been unhappy one of the president's most loyal aides and director of the office of presidential personnel opp that's where they're doing schmirnoff ice john (laughs) mcintee privately threatened to fire those looking for jobs prior to the president leaving office according to sources familiar with the private discussions. So it's then such a, fire. if I can't have you, no one can. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an abusive sh- thing, right? And but if she's looking for another job and we know then McEntee should fire her. 
Anyway, I don't know. But I love though that Joe is basically like, look, him not him not conceding, it's not delaying me. It's just really embarrassing for the country at this point. Like we're getting our shit done. Yeah. Behind the scenes, which is which is pretty beautiful. Well, I have a feeling that Obama's house, like kind of up on the hill there that overlooks the mall. Mm-hmm. I th- I think he's got a skiff up there and he's probably got Schiff coming in and uh, Kamala's getting briefings. She's in the intelligence committee. You know, so I think but but the rollout of the COVID vaccine is the problem. Right. Absolutely. But, and that brings up the next story because there's more positive news within that specific category. So the drug maker Moderna that you were talked about at the top of the show announced on Monday that its coronavirus vaccine was 94.5% effective. That's joining Ooh. Pfizer as a front runner in the global race to contain a raging pandemic that has killed 1.2 million people worldwide. God, I can't believe it's up to 1.2 million people. I know that number. And kids, I just read this morning, kids are 10% of the United States. A million a million kids have been diagnosed um, since this pandemic began, and they are not even in school yet. Yeah, and we don't even know what the long-term effects are because we haven't had it around long enough to study it. Yeah. Deep breaths, deep breaths. Now, the positive stuff about this, both companies plan to apply within weeks to the Food and Drug Administration for emergency authorization to begin vaccinating the public. So officials said enough vaccine for about 20 million people would be ready sometime in December, with the first doses going to people with the highest risk, as they should, like healthcare workers, emergency medical workers, and some frail residents of nursing homes. Um, but that vaccine would not be widely available to the public. It's still months away. Like we are months away from that, people. Uh, and winter's right, com- right. And winter is coming. Um, and so while the need for one is definitely growing increasingly more urgent, we can see that as the numbers skyrocket in the country. Um, we see this happen every time, though. The stock market rallied on Monday, um, which was fueled by that news. Um, businesses and other others braced for what could be a bleak holiday season with COVID's grip on the nation's citizens and its economy. So the president, this is interesting as we move on to uh, just a, another quick topic on, on the, the president, because he's no longer giving a shit about COVID. You know, when Trump said, you know, COVID's just going to disappear after the election, he, I think he just meant he was going to stop talking about it, because that's basically what he's done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, COVID didn't go away on November 4th. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop sure did. Sure did. I haven't seen any of that. And um, the, one of my favorite things about Trump, and I say this jokingly, because I don't have any favorite things about Trump, is that his when he like accidentally spews something out on Twitter, and then he has to walk it back, which is exactly what happened a couple days ago. Because the president tweeted yesterday that he's not first of all, he was like, um, Joe won because and of course, like you said, everyone you know, edited those. So it just looked like he won. Uh, Then immediately, immediately, the president walked back that tweet saying uh, he's not going to concede and he will never concede. I will never concede. (laughs) And then he twirled the little waxy mustache. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. What a piece of shit. Um, Well, Joe Biden spoke today. Um, I don't know if you saw his little. I did. It was peaceful and it made me happy. Oh, I know. It was so great, right? I'm like, I your voice is soothing and the things you say soothe me. Uh, he warned that Donald Trump's unwillingness to accept the outcome of the election could hamper his administration's ability to rapidly distribute a vaccine. And we've been talking about this, right? We, well, I had Olivia Troy on the other day and she's like, this is the big fucking problem. It's going to take a massive coordination 
to to get this vaccine out. And if 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 you don't get to hit the start button until January twentieth, you're putting six weeks between us and the vaccine, and that is a big six weeks. You know, uh, quote: more people may die if we don't coordinate. Unquote. That's what Biden told reporters Monday in Delaware in a news conference, like I said, after he met with uh, labor and business leaders and delivered his speech on the economy. Biden's comment comes as Trump refuses to acknowledge the reality that he lost the election. The Trump appointed administrator of the GSA, we've been talking about this, won't give won't sign off, won't give the hand to budget over. And, and Biden said coordination is important, quote, now or as rapidly as we can get that done and said that it would make it a lot easier if the president were to participate, right, like every other fucking normal president does. He says, I'm hopeful that the president will be mildly more enlightened before we get to January 20th. Interesting. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to keep a straight face. <laughs> I know, keep that's going. hard to read without yeah. laughing. He, so this, again, is the, this, this speech came out today, same day as the Moderna vaccine news. And so it, it's actually, it's doubly important. Now we've got two uh, really effective vaccines. And if we can't, you know, if we put a six-week delay, do you remember the seven-week delay that Trump had at the beginning of, of this when he knew it was bad and then didn't do shit? And he's, I mean, he never really actually did shit, but he didn't even act until seven weeks later. And that cost thousands and thousands of lives, 54,000 lives, according to the New York Times. I mean, he he's just being a whiny. I can't, this is, I don't know if you saw Michelle Obama's Instagram post, AG, but it's brilliant. She talks about the transition and how important it is. And she also talks about like, look, I didn't want to do this. I was sick. I was transit. I was giving the White House to a man that literally racially attacked my husband and, and said Ugh. that he wasn't a citizen of the United States. And I had to sit there and smile and do this, but it was the right thing to do. It's a beautiful post, but it is the right thing to do for Trump not to even acknowledge that this was done to him, knowing that he stole this election and now he's not transitioning to the next president. It's, it's like infuriating on, a, on another level. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And uh, but today, Biden praised Republican governors who have required their state's citizens to wear masks. He singled out North Dakota's Doug Burgum, Utah's Gary Herbert, and Ohio's Mike DeWine. And then he lambasted Trump's coronavirus advisor, Scott Atlas, the MRI guy, yeah. for urging people on Twitter to rise up against governors' mask mandates. This is why Gretchen Whitmer's life was put in danger. Uh, and, and Biden said, what the hell's the matter with these guys? What is the matter with them? Resist? Yeah, like, every major individual of any consequence in the health field is saying we can save lives through mask mandates. He was just, he, he's, I can't imagine the, the level of frustration. Right. You know, I mean, we all have it. But to be up there, it's just got to be nuts. So holding up the mask, he held up the mask he wore to the podium when he delivered his speech and said, this, this is it. Does anyone understand why a governor would turn this into a political statement? It's about patriotism. And he characterized the economy as teetering on the edge, headed into a very dark winter uh, before coronavirus vaccines could become widely available. It's going to be bad. He urged Congress to pass coronavirus relief packages that include funding to help state and local governments with payrolls for public workers like teachers and first responders. Quote, there's a reason why the federal government is able to run a deficit, because the states must, must balance their budget. And they're in real trouble. And we know this. This has been happening since, remember, New York was like, we got this fucking negative budget. They won't give us any money. Cuomo was pissed. And he called on the Democratic-led House and Republican-controlled Senate to pass a package similar to legislation the House approved months ago. 
but the Senate has refused to take up. But then they blame Democrats for stalling. Right. So... And it's yeah, all Mitch McConnell, it's, such a piece of shit. And now he, yeah. he doesn't have time to do a stimulus package, but he's shoving through, what, six or seven more unqualified judges? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's gross. And and having hearings with Andy McCabe about 2016, like, get over it. God. Uh, so Biden's remarks today followed a virtual meeting that he and Kamala Harris held with the heads of several of the nation's leading labor unions, which is cool, and the top executives of Microsoft, General Motors, Gap, Gap, okay, and Target, they were folding stuff. Biden pitched uh, his plan, uh, calling them the kinds of investments that could strengthen the United States economy and create millions of union jobs, right? So he's he's really pushing this, uh, bringing the economy back after we get a vaccine out, but we have to start the transition to even go there. And he also said he wants a $15 per hour minimum wage nationwide. Suck it, progressives. I told you he was progressive. Um, Kamala Harris said, quote, the road ahead will not be easy, but the president-elect and I are hitting the ground running. We we don't have a moment to waste. And that, again, is why I'm so angry about this delay. Yeah. No, it is infuriating. It is. Um, I didn't mean I didn't mean suck at progressives. I love I'm progressive. I just everyone was like, he's he's a Republican, basically. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And the other thing is that we know this it, it, for all of the very, very staunch progressives that are like almost they've gone all the way around to being conservative. We, you know who you are. Not that they listen to this show, but he knows who he is. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've been told I'm the enemy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. insane. But I mean, we have one of the most progressive Congresses in history right now. And so, you know, the squad, AOC, all of these people, they're still going to be doing their jobs. And now they have, the you know, a president whose ear is actually listening to them. All right, this next headline is, it's a little infuriating, but it's also scary because it's sort of like, I feel like how QAnon is starting to sweep across this country. Uh, this is basically a conservative internal battle cry. So I, I'm sure some of you have heard Stop the Steal. Uh, well, that has now swept across inboxes, Facebook pages, and Twitter like um, basically an out-of-control virus, which is spreading disinformation and violent rhetoric, which is the worst part. And now it's starting to spill into real life, like the protest that was uh, in D.C. over the weekend. So um, while Stop the Steal, this is going to be fun, while Stop the Steal may sound like a new 2020 political slogan to many people. It, this is not anything new. AG, you know this. Uh, it didn't er- emerge originally over widespread concerns about voter fraud um, in this election against Joe Biden. Uh, this has been in the work for years, years. Its original traces, its, its origin traces back to Roger Stone, which anything that traces back to Roger Stone, you know, it's fucked up. So a veteran, we know <laughs> Roger Stone, who calls himself... He literally calls himself Dirty Trickster. He's like a, a oh. weird Marvel character comic, like character that never actually made the movies. He's just so weird. Yeah, I've talked about this before. He's got a tattoo of Nixon's head on his back. And then I was wondering if Jacob Wool had a tattoo of Roger Stone's head <laughs> on his back. Because I call them I call them the turducken of treason. That's basically what it is. It's like a disgusting like Russian doll of human scum <laughs> is what nice. it is that's Russian amazing <laughs> okay so basically what happened is stone's political action committee they launched a stop the steel website this was in 2016 to fundraise ahead of that election asking for ten thousand dollar donations by saying if this election is close they will steal it okay so they thought this was going to happen in 2016 yes. and 
Yeah, it's so great. Fuck you, Roger Stone. And they've kept it alive. So when he first trotted out the slogan, it was basically claiming like a Bush, Cruz, Kasich, Romney, Ryan, McConnell faction, like all of those guys uh, were attempting to steal the Republican nomination from Donald Trump before re-upping Stop the Steal for the general election. Now, Stop the Steal briefly resurfaced around the midterms in 2018 with Republicans employing the hashtag during a recount when the Florida race for Senate was super close. But it wasn't until the 2020 election where this has really caught fire. And this is actually the scarier part. So Stop the Steal, their Facebook group, was managed by a loose coalition of right-wing operatives, some of whom have worked with former Trump advisor, no one other than Dirty Steve Bannon. So... The group, this is crazy how fast this happened. The group amassed hundreds of thousands of followers in a little more than one day, one day before Facebook had to shut it down on November 5th. And that was the the day after it was launched. (laughs) One day. One day. Facebook was like, nope, which is really shocking because Facebook doesn't really seem to care about white supremacy all that much. No, right. They let Bannon stay on there and he threatened to behead Fauci and the the director of the FBI. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. So also on November 5th, though, Bannon started his own Stop the Steal Facebook group, but he changed the name when he realized everything else was getting taken off of Facebook. He changed the name to Own Your Vote uh, the following day. So that one was not removed, um, but the social media company did remove a bunch of other pages that Bannon was affiliated because of that whole behead Fauci bullshit and, you know, Ray. Uh, so this, if you see any of this stuff on Facebook, like report it, don't share it. Anything that looks like stop the steal is right wing conspiracy bullshit. Um, so avoid it at all costs, but it is caught fire. It's caught fire just like QAnon in this country. It's yep. unbelievable. Yeah, I have a whole list. Uh, neolibs, shitlibs, blueanon. Uh, like I have a list of key phrases that's, that, that, are, that are coming out of the Kremlin. And this is one of them. I mean, yes, Roger Stone, but so the Kremlin. Uh, own your vote and stop the steal. Ignore. Ignore and move on. Uh, And this just in, election law experts declare Trump's legal challenges 100% dead in the water. (laughs) From lawandcrime.com, Professor Rick Hazen wrote in his election law blog, that's Bob Lobb's law blog, Trump may still say he has won the election, but there is no path. Even the two key federal cases in Pennsylvania do not involve nearly enough votes to overturn the results there, even if they were successful, and I don't expect them to be. So this is wonderful. There is no path. Rudy Giuliani can say what he wants and the, quote, resident can keep declaring that he's won. But there's no plausible legal way this election gets overturned. We're not talking three Hail Marys anymore. We're talking done. Done, done. And don't worry about the faithless electors. We already covered that on the last show. AG covered it. We're safe there. This is done. It's done. Yep. And we'll be right back with former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Fogluzzi. We're going to have a discussion about the president's daily brief, what Biden is missing right now that he needs to be getting and what Trump hasn't given a shit about his entire time he was president. So we'll be right back with that. Uh, Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Echelon, which provides connected fitness at an affordable price. There is nothing like completing a workout. There is no better feeling or beating a personal record. Echelon prides itself on being able to help you achieve all your fitness goals. Their service is amazing. 
One Echelon membership lets up to five family members enjoy all the benefits. I love the huge variety of equipment and programs they offer. Echelon is connected bikes that give you this immersive studio experience, like you're in spin class. They have smart rowers that take you down the best waterways in the world and reflect smart mirrors for personal training at the touch of a button. And there's just one app to connect them all. Echelon United provides access to all content throughout Echelon's products. They have thousands of on-demand classes available with 30-plus accredited world-class trainers, including guests and celebrity instructors. Work out with the Echelon community, inspire each other, climb the leaderboards, there's good competition, and Echelon has been featured in Women's Health, Cosmo, Time, People, and more. It's all over the place. Wall Street Journal says Echelon has cracked the code. Yahoo! Finance says Echelon, where fitness and technology unite at a price you can afford. So if you want to turn things around and get in the best shape of your life, check out echelonfit.com today. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Figluzzi. Frank, welcome. Once again, we're here to talk about bad things happening. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, like, I'm thinking, like, how often do I need an FBI counterintelligence expert? Apparently a lot. Uh, so <laughs> I wanted to speak to you today about the president's daily briefing. Uh, and also known as the PDB, right? We've had a few people on in the past talking uh, talking about uh, when they had to brief Mueller, who would then give the, the president's daily brief or what it was like to have, a, uh, you know, the PDB. What is the PDB and why is the delay in transition a problem with, you know, with regards to the PDB? Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll go back and talk about as I as I often do, um, I talk about my state of normalcy when I was, you know, when when I was at the FBI. Here's what things used to be like, and and it's the same thing across government. It's here's what normal looks like, and then here's where we are. So what normal looks like with the presidential daily brief is this: um, the, the, about about the day, every day, there's a rhythm that occurs within the intelligence analytical world, wherein those those most senior analysts in every agency of the intelligence community, including FBI, CIA, NSA, all the alphabet soup agencies, um, they start thinking about tomorrow morning's briefing. And they start saying, you know what? I've got an item I'm gonna submit for consideration. Um, I've, I've, I've got my top agency uh, uh, developments and here they are. And that process starts like the, the, the previous day, afternoon, and then all night. So there's, there's what a lot of folks I think lay people don't understand is there's a, there's a whole shift at night that's doing analytical work, culling out what's good for the next morning for the senior leaders in our government to see. Okay. So. In my experience, what would happen with me is I might walk in in the morning, say 6 a.m. to FBI headquarters, and I'd be told, hey, we think you've got something going to the PDB today, the President's Daily Brief. We think that the DNI, this thing's coordinated um, generally at, by the DNI with heavy, heavy um, insight from the CIA. Because after all, this is hmm. an intelligence brief, not an, a counterintelligence brief. Um, and so you'll find out, hey, there's something of yours that we think is going to the president. And it's a very big deal. And it, it kind of ratchets up the anxiety level in the sense that you know that you're about to brief the director of the FBI, as you do every morning. 
And then he goes off to the attorney general. I'm referring to, again, the state of normalcy. And the attorney general gets briefed. <laughs> and then on, on all the developments uh, in the agency, and then the two of them under normal circumstances, in my case, um, it was Mueller and Holder, um, and they'd go off and they would brief the president. And in the Oval Office uh, or a situation room, there would be the AG, the director, the CIA director, the NSA director, some folks from the Pentagon. And they'd sit around and and the president, imagine this, would have already read his PDB. Oh, whoa, what? What? Yeah, astounding. Astounding. And he would have questions. And in fact, sometimes if there was an FBI question on based on our uh, entry, Mueller would get in the limo out of the White House property. And before he hit the building, he'd call me and say, we had a question. Um we had a question on your submission. Can you get me something in an hour? Um, so that's how it works. And it's it's everything from a sensitive human source inside a prime minister's office tells us that that prime minister was just diagnosed with cancer. Um, Al-Qaeda is, is ready to move against a U.S. consulate <clears throat> somewhere in the world. On and on and on. China, you know, China's got a virus that looks like it's out of control. The wheat crop is dying so badly in Russia that they're going to have famine in the next month. You know, all, all of this goes on and decisions are made about the threat level, what the president needs. And then we go off of his questions and we we answer his questions either that day or they're addressed the next day where his briefer will say, sir, you had a question yesterday and here's the answer. So that's how that works. Now, we have a president who, by all reports, hasn't gotten um, his briefing, typically wouldn't read his briefing, um, and would rely only on verbal uh, briefing from a senior analyst. Reportedly, even that has gotten down to almost nothing these days. Yeah, I was wondering, like, what that must be like for Chris Ray, right? Because in normal world, on Earth One, I guess, as Matta would put it, you know, uh, Ray would go to Boss Hog, Bill Barr, and give him the thing and then boss hog would go to the president and that's not happening right i think it's just ratcliffe now who's kind of dropping in and, and saying hi it's not happening um with regard to the the fbi director being present on a daily basis in such a briefing um that hasn't happened in ages uh, so look there's there, this is ripple effect it's what i also hear is not happening is is related briefings to the House and Senate Intelligence Committee. So very often, if something is big enough in the FBI to get to the PDB, um, we're going to probably have to brief that to at least the leadership of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees. Hey, heads up, this thing is simmering. Here's what's going on. Like the like the Russian bounties on soldiers, for example. Yeah, yeah there's a good one. Right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. If you're going to the theory being, if you're going to if you're going to brief something to the White House, you probably need to brief the attorney general. You probably need to ensure the DNI knows it. And you might want to let the House and Senate Intel Committee leaders know it. And, and that's not always the case, but almost always. And I don't believe any of that's happening with any regularity. So now let's so now let's go and, and layer another component over it, which is that the president elect is not getting the briefing either. And 
there's even more to it than that. Um, the fact that now our president is largely blind to intelligence developments on a daily basis, and the guy that's going to come in and replace him is largely blind to intel developments on a daily basis, is disturbing enough. But understand that the GSA, the lack of decision-making at, at GSA to, quote, ascertain an apparent winner in the election means it's not just about this one brief. It's about the entire transition process and the fact that ordinarily a, an incoming president would embed um, key people on his transition team at each one of the key agencies. So you would you'd have a under in a normal world, you'd have a Biden. Yeah, like a liaison. Yeah, right? you'd have a liaison who would come in and and really dig into the weeds and get briefed like, you know, he's he or she's never been briefed before about the, <laughs> the inner workings of that agency, the threats they're currently facing, and likely in this current world we live in, the threats that are not being addressed because they can't even get briefed to the president. So there's pressing items that aren't getting anyone's attention. The embeds um, and liaison detailees from, from a Biden transition team aren't, aren't happening. Um, and that's, that's a really bad situation. Thank goodness. Biden's been here, done this before, um, wasn't that long ago. He understands the workings of the agencies. But let me tell you something, being out of it for four years means the world has changed. The agency. I know. I, I just feel like there's a skiff at Obama's house across the way and they're and <laughs> they're getting something. That's probably not the case. But because today during public remarks, Biden said, thank God, Kamala Harris, as a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, is getting some kind of briefings. But he, he, he basically hinted that she was getting more briefings and intelligence than he was. Mm. There, there's another there's another kind of more subtle um, aspect of this. If you were to kind of come in from Mars and read the PDB uh, for several days or weeks, you'd learn some things. And by that, I mean, not only clearly what's on the page, but what's not on the page. Here's here's what I mean by that. Let's say you're reading The Washington Post and you see that, oh, Vladimir Putin has poisoned somebody again. And you notice that for the next two days, there's absolutely no mention of it in the PDB. Or, um, you know, you, 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 you hear that there's a resurgence of virus in China and you see there's no mention of it in the PDB. This is a clue that the president may, there are certain areas that the president doesn't want to see in his briefing and has suppressed and that the agencies have kind of this reflexive, you know, we're going to get our hands slapped if we put this in. So like the fire on the in the the Russia uh, Union United Party building uh, might not make it in to this particular president's daily brief. The, the reporting we're getting, uh, particularly out of Langley at CIA, is is there's complaining, right? This is public information that there's complaints that she is somehow reticent to report up Russian-related intel unless it's 100% proven because there's some kind of fear factor going on there. So you talking about Haspel? Yeah, Gina Haspel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can learn a lot, not only from what's on the page of a PDB, but what's not on the page. And you can also see things like, oh, like I told you, the question might be answered tomorrow. So tomorrow you see a, a notation on the bottom, 
this references president's question from yesterday and you go, oh, okay, that guy, he asked a question about this yesterday. So, and then if you're a consumer of the PDB, especially if you're the president elect consuming, you can ask questions of your briefer. They will come over, they will give you the verbal and you can say, hey, I have a question about item number seven. Is it really too true that, that Putin you know, has uh, cancer? And, and you, you'll get an answer the next day. None of that is happening. That's frightening. Uh, also, you know, not to mention, and speaking of Haspel, I think she was, what, she was iced out of a, of a briefing uh, this weekend and, you know, disinvited. So that, that's interesting, too. Uh, I don't think she's long for this world. Not the world, but, you know, her job. Um, but we'll see. And uh, it's odd that he would make these kind like over at CISA, um, DHS Cyber Command, and, you know, with these major moves in the, at the Pentagon, of course, number one, two and four. And now we're looking at potentially Gina Haspel and uh, Chris Ray. I the it's it makes no sense to me at this point in the game to do that unless you are pulling people out who would stop you from doing nefarious shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I got a couple of thoughts on that. One is um, I learned over the years at FBI to never uh, try to apply logic to lunacy, meaning I, I while I want to desperately find the strategy that Trump has in moving these people around and threatening uh, firings, I, I'm not convinced there is one. But but I will say this, if, the, if there is some intent behind, uh, other than revenge here, um, it might have to do, I mean, look, these people only have about two months left. Everybody's got about two months left unless, you know, something happens and they extend. And certainly, by the way, Chris Ray should, should be allowed to finish his 10-year term. But um, so that means whatever the plan is that the president may have up his sleeve is going to play out in the next 60 days. So what what is the, the value of inserting people who are loyal to you at the Pentagon at NSA, for example, as general counsel, what 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 is that? Right. About? And so, lots of theories, right? That we might be looking at some kind of military action against Iran. We might be looking at pulling all troops out of everywhere, um, and we we're embedding people who will say, "Yes, sir, we'll pull troops unsafely out of Afghanistan tomorrow." God. You know, it. Yeah. So those are, and there's another, but there's another thing going on, and I tend to lean in this direction, which is. We call it the cover-up. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So there's there's something at these agencies that they want destroyed, stopped, right? And, and comma, similar but different, there's also possibly an attempt to, to shade and shape existing intel. Ah, declassify some shit and cherry-pick it to make it look like Spygate's real. Bingo. Right? Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you take the conversation that you and I just had and uh, randomly um, take every third word, it might say that we we're saying it's going to snow in San Diego tomorrow. But mm -hmm. but we really don't say that. It's just been randomly selected. And I I think some of that is going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they released, uh, was it uh, Brennan? Uh, Brennan's notes, somebody's notes uh, recently where everything was redacted except like six words and they weren't even next to each other. <laughs> Uh, you're like, well, I'm sorry, are you, what are you, what are you trying to make him say? It was just absolutely ridiculous. So I, that I'm a hundred percent with you. I think they're, 
looking to de- they're looking for stuff because they don't have anything. And if they find it, they'll release it in their very cherry-picked way. And then they're also, I think they're destroying shit. Uh, I think they're destroying stuff. Yeah, gosh. I mean, let's understand, not that this has ever stopped anybody in the Trump administration, but you are talking about a violation of law. Yes, and you can't actually destroy anything. I mean, there are thousands of career professionals there. You can't plug all the holes. It's impossible. But again, you're right. That doesn't stop Trump. Yeah, no, and I think, yeah, but I think we'd start hearing about about stuff. We'd re- the whistleblowers would come out of the woodwork at this point. So yeah, selective scouring of intel, suppression of intel, uh, covering up, lo- looking for dirt on Biden. Good luck with that. Um, and, and then um, looking for some exoneration for Trump. And good luck with that as well. <laughs> yeah, good luck with all of it. Thank you so much uh, for answering this, uh, these questions that I had. I, I really wanted to have kind of a refresher on the PDB. So I appreciate you coming on. Frank Figluzzi, I thank you. Anytime. Take care. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Thanks for supporting The Daily Beans. This next segment is brought to you by BetterHelp, some really good people that provide professional help when you need it the most. If you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your best life, I highly recommend BetterHelp. It is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional licensed counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. You know I've had my struggles with PTSD, and I know how important it is to seek help. It's, it's really hard to face it alone. But BetterHelp's services are available for clients worldwide, and they have a broad range of experts in their counselor network, which might not be locally available in your area. And the best thing about BetterHelp is they can, you know, you can log in from anywhere, anytime, and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, too, so they make it really easy and free to change counselors if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So visit their website, read their testimonials, like BetterHelp user LI, who says, Denise has been absolutely amazing thus far. She's diligent and great at listening, but also offers sound advice and helps talk through difficult situations. I couldn't recommend her more. So visit betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special for Daily Beans listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is real-life lawyer, real-life friend, and co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. Andrew, how are you? I'm fantastic, AG. How are you? I am surprisingly good for the absolute <laughs> shit show of a democracy that we have going on right now. Um, I, I don't know why. I'm just in a good mood. Um, it's it, You should be in a good mood, right? Like, it's it's things... Things are bad. Uh, they might get worse for a while, but like there's eventually we will round a corner. How about that? Yeah, it's going to be bad, right? Like uh, the next 60 days, the next uh, six Scaramucci's or however much time we have left <laughs> are going to be insane. But then you also have to like add COVID on top of it and it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. And I don't know how to keep spirits up in, in the wake of that. Uh, so until we get there, um, I'm still in a, I'm still in a surprisingly good mood, but I want to know what updates you have for us on Trump's, I can't even say it with a straight face, Trump's election lawsuits. I can't say it with a straight face. I, I tried to explain this. I had a, a media appearance that was 
shot down to 60 seconds, right? And I thought, you've had me on, right? It takes me 60 seconds to tell you how I'm doing this afternoon, right? Like, it, and, and, and this was the analogy that I came up with. Joe Biden is leading the football game 21 to 3. And as the clock expires, Donald Trump tries to kick a field goal. Now, it's crazy wide, right? It's not anywhere close. And then he throws the challenge flag, right? Right. And if you think about the challenge flag as being his lawsuits, you will immediately understand the nested layers of terrible for how arguments, for how bad these arguments are, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this a little bit on the show. Like, I've actually read some transcripts, Mm -hmm. you know, like the hearsay one uh, and the, you know, the uh, like, I've read a few of the transcripts. And it's embarrassing. I um I don't know how else to put it other than embarrassing. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing, right? It's it's like you know he he came up, he kicked the football five yards, and it was a sixty yard field goal, right? And you're like, okay, you you have the right to throw the flag, but the officials are going to come out and point to where the football is and point. 200 feet away and say, there's where you had to put it and then just kind of shake their shoulders, you know, shrug their shoulders and shake their heads. And even if they did, even if Donald Trump got everything he ever wanted from all of these lawsuits, they don't add up to enough votes to, to change the results in any state, oh. let alone enough states to change the election, right? Like, So and, you're and, saying if he won them all, he would still not win. Cor- correct, right? Mm. So let me, let me give you a, a really good example. Uh, and this is a lawsuit that was dismissed in Pennsylvania on Friday. This is the Montgomery County lawsuit, right? Um, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, 500,000 votes cast. Um, and the county went 60-40 for Biden. But a- as we all know, what that means is the mail-in ballots are like 80-20 for Biden, right? Um, right. 100, 130,000 vote, vote margin. Their lawsuit challenged 592 ballots, right? Oh, yeah. This is the one where, where the guy was like, oh, we aren't saying that they're fraudulent per se. We're just saying they're ballots. I couldn't even understand his argument. So that argument was uh, that there were technical defects with the envelope for 592 mail-in ballots, right? And those technical defects ranged from a failure to write the date properly, um, errors in copying over your address, right? Like really, really the kinds of things that would have made the the George W. Bush, uh, you know, Palm Beach County team kind of look at it and go, all right, like this is... Right, the hanging chads people would be like, get out of here. Because, you know, think about it this way. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you know the story. I, I had a chance to be on the... Uh, the, the the Bush Gore recount team, except that my boss at the time invited me to be on it from the George W. Bush standpoint. And I said, I don't think you want me coming down to Florida with you to, to help you out on that. Um, but 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 look, at least in that case, you had a clear path for both parties. Right. You had an initial count. Uh, that favored George W. Bush by 538 votes. And then you had recounts in three predominantly Democratic counties um, 
that were going back and taking discarded ballots and adding them back into the pool. And it was clear, right, that if that recount was allowed to proceed, that Al Gore would have won the popular vote and won Florida's electoral votes. And both candidates were below the 270 threshold, right? Al Gore had 268 uh, and and uh, George W. Bush had, you know, 247 or whatever. Um, and so there you can at least see how that gets to the Supreme Court and you can see kind of a clear path to victory. Right. And and in fact, that's what happened with George W. Bush. They successfully um, in, a, in, a, in an opinion that the Supreme Court itself basically wrote into the opinion and said, uh, this is a one time thing. And like, don't ever cite this for anything for any reason, because, you know, we're just making this up. Right. We've talked about this before. Yeah, we've we you and I've had this conversation like don't ever cite Bush v. Gore because someone recently did. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But but so <laughs> y- you could look at that and see like, OK, well, that's how the Supreme Court uh, delivers the election to George W. Bush. If they rule with one interpretation, it means you stop counting and Bush wins the electoral votes and therefore he goes over the 270 threshold. If you do nothing and allow the counting to continue, then Gore is inevitably going to go over the threshold. He'll win Florida's electoral votes. And so that that's where the presidency comes down. There is nothing like that for Donald Trump. Right. Because even if he Pennsylvania, he still has to do Georgia and Arizona and Nevada. And the like, there's no it's not we're not down to one state. We're not down to less than a thousand votes in one state. There's just so many. So yes to all of that. <laughs> and, and also we're we're at the stage now where the kinds of irregularities they are trying to dig up. Right. So in some cases, right, like in Michigan today, for example, uh, they, they just made it up. Right. Like in the, the, the Michigan lawsuit was dismissed out today uh, because they had pled in their complaint, quote, on information and belief, which is a thing you're allowed to do, but not when you seek injunctive relief. Right. No, you have to have ad- evidentiary support when you seek injunctive yeah. relief. You can't just have it on belief. Exactly right. And they said they were going to bring in uh, an expert witness uh, and the expert witness was going to show mathematically that uh, that there must have been fraud. Um, was it you know, Jacob whether... Wool? Or... <laughs> yeah, 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 whether this was going to be like the Benford's Law argument or something, I don't know. Uh, what I do know is I have been a civil litigator for more than 20 years, for a long time, for an embarrassingly long time. Um, you can find an expert witness on any side of anything. Um, that that's, sure. that's just the reality of our situation. They could not find someone willing to go into court to make this argument. Okay. They, and they had to pull the lawsuit th- th- this afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, an hour before the hearing. Speaking of not being able to find someone, Jones Day is out, Porter Wright's out. Now they have. Well, Jones Day isn't exactly out. They're out on new well, cases. But yeah, no, I, it, sure. I just don't want to let them off the off the hook too easily. So, And they should never be let off the hook, neither of them. Uh, but now we have the new legal dream team. And <laughs> I wanted to laugh about this with you. This is the whole reason I had you on the show today, oh, okay. was so that you and I could talk about the fact that it's Tonzig de Genova, Giuliani, Jenna Ellis... And uh, Sidney Powell, can we find less qualified people to run anything, anything? It, it, so 
I have struggled to come up with a good comedy beat on this. And the problem is I can't come up with anything with anything funnier you can't. Than, than Rudy Giuliani booking the four seasons total construction. Right. Like that, right. That, you, it, it's it defies be funnier parody. than what it is. Yeah. No. Yeah. You you can't. And and in fact, I read, I think, in HuffPost or Politico that uh, the reason these big law firms pulled out was because of Rudy Giuliani's uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping shenanigans. And uh, and here we are. So so here's the way. As somebody who spent a, a, a plurality of my life, <laughs> right, a majority of my adult life and a plurality of my total life working for big law firms, here's the reality of how that works, right? Um, one of the reasons that baby lawyers are paid exorbitant salaries is because at big law firms, they're billed out at exorbitant rates, right? So for example, like first year lawyers at Covington and Burling, which is my old firm, a great firm, fantastic firm, right? Um, Yep. 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 Flynn's old firm. Yeah. uh, They, they bill out at $700 an hour. Right. Jesus now, Christ. Now that's, <laughs> right. That's more than that's more than I bill out right now. And I've been practicing law for 25 years. Right. Like it, it's that's a preposterous amount of money. And so you ask yourself, like, what kinds of cases can justify paying seven hundred dollars an hour to somebody who and, and let's be honest here, uh, does not know a goddamn thing. Right. Like, Because, you know, and I, and I, and I, I say that with no disrespect, like I have a lot of first year outs uh, who listen to my show. No, right. Young you're lawyers. you're. You're L. Woods. You're like, I have to say that because of mens rea, <laughs> right. you must do this. Yeah. It's a habeas it's... corpus. Yeah, exactly. Like it is, it's, it's, you don't know anything because you haven't been doing it. Right. So, and, and they would admit that. And I would admit, everybody would admit that. And, and the way in which this comes about, like, for example, comes about with the first case I worked on when I was mm. uh, just out of law school, uh, which was the Exxon Mobil merger, right? Oh, dang. Uh, at the time, largest merger in the history of Western civilization. And uh, it, it was a multi-billion dollar merger, right? If if it fell through approval with the FTC. So, you know, when you have several billion dollars on the line, whether you incur a $10 million legal bill that much, and and, and we had... Uh, monthly legal bills that, that went out to Exxon were $10 million for a month's worth of work. Um, Cause we had 135 lawyers firm wide working on it. Right. Um, right. It, it Exxon was happy to pay it. Right. Because what's 10 million compared to several billion, right? Like it's a, it's a tiny fraction. And so my, my point on all of that is the engine that drives that unique economy in big law firms are fortune 500 companies. Right. And so as a young lawyer, I got put on cases for Exxon, for Microsoft, right? Like these, these huge, huge cases uh, until I knew what the hell I was talking about. And then I worked on smaller matters where I was actually doing real substantive work because I knew what I was doing, right? Um, Ah, Interesting. And, and so I am a hunt. All of that is a little bit of a long winded way of saying I am a hundred percent certain, right? That what happened 
after Jones Day made its announcement. And it's it's preposterous ass covering announcement of saying like, well, you know, we don't <laughs> represent the Trump administration. We represent the the Pennsylvania uh, Republican Party. Whatever. And- You've been up Trump's ass for four <laughs> years, Jones Day. <laughs> we know. And so what happened was um, major CEOs from major Fortune 500 companies picked up the phone and called the lead partner at Jones Day and said, hey, man, um, this is like this. You can't we can't be associated with this. So like, hi, this is Nike and you got to drop this case. Think about it. The reason why you hire Jones Day or Covington or, you know, Arnold and Porter, whatever. Like the reason you hire these firms in the first place is, uh, is, is, you know, you and I grew up with the old saying, like, right. Like no one ever got fired for recommending IBM, right? Like it, Mm -hmm. it is, it is the, the small C conservative safe choice. You know, you are getting a huge law firm with Ivy League grads staffed top to bottom. Yeah, you're going to get a good lawyer and it's just it's just where you go. That's interesting. That's interesting that that, that it's the it's the big corporate clients that likely pressured them out of representing Trump. A hundred, hundred, hundred percent. That's that's where I would, I would put in all of my chips. Right. They they do not want to be made fun of, uh, embarrassed. Whatever, and all of a sudden now you're like, oh, great. Like, yeah, no, I know you're. Your lawyers are fine, but the problem is your marching orders are coming from a guy who can't tell a dildo shop from a hotel. Like, that's a problem, <laughs> right? Like, I, I would if 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 I ran a multi-billion dollar, you know, gl- global empire, like I would tell my lawyers, like, uh, you, you know, you you do whatever you want, but um we're not bringing the next matter to you uh, if if you if you're involved in this case. It looks bad for us. And they get a reputation, right? Kirkland Ellis. I immediately think Alpha Bank uh, mm-hmm. and Benchkowski and Barr, right? And I'm like, nope, never gonna, never gonna go there. So uh, yeah, I suppose if you associate those big law firms with Trump, you uh, yeah, I can I can see why you wouldn't want to be associated with that. Um, got, gosh, about a minute left. Tell me everything is going to be okay. Promise me. Yeah. Look, let's, let's go back to my football. Every, it, it, not only is everything going to be okay, but it, it is, there's no path to it being not okay. Right. Um, it, it, when I started to get worried, uh, was when Neil Buchanan wrote his article, uh, which was then substantively relied upon by the Atlantic article that. Yeah. The Atlantic. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And and so I mean, Neil Buchanan, respected law professor, right? Somebody who said, hey, and, 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 and he really I felt like he was writing the article to me, right? Because a lot of people had been, you know, sort of peppering me with questions for the past year of like, well, what happens if Trump refuses to leave office when he loses? And I would reply with, you know, a, a less glib version of, you know, what what Joe Biden said, right, which was um, Capitol Police know how to deal with trespassers, right? Right. Or, uh, yeah. What if they don't come on board? They will. Yeah. It's that. It's that. But but Buchanan said something very specific that then I took seriously, you took seriously, and we got into the public consciousness. And that was don't let them use 
right? The redshift phenomenon on delayed voting to cast doubt on the authenticity of actual ballots and thereby leave us in a situation where nobody knows where it's all up for grabs. And, and the red mirage. Yeah. And, 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 and look, this is what I want you to hold on. And this is what I want to go off with, right? That effort worked, right? 80% of the country, it, it should be a hundred. I'm sad that it's not a hundred. 80% of the country is like, well, uh, okay. You know, Biden won more votes and won more electoral votes. Right. And that includes majorities of Trump supporters. And, and yeah. when you have the narrative is, well, he just needs time to get over it because he's throwing a tantrum. That tells me that our system is going to be fine, right? If the narrative was, yeah. we don't And vote. not only that, not only that, Andrew, but but we voted in numbers too big to manipulate. We voted to put a margin between, you know, 306 and 223. We voted to put a margin of, of almost 6 million votes between us. And it worked. And I give you credit. I hope every time I, I repeat that because I, I have been repeating it a lot. Uh, but it but it bears. And, and this is what I will go out on then, uh, because you were 100 percent correct on that. It, it bears repeating the, the Bush v. Gore scenario that I described that we're not in is a scenario we, we could have been in. Right. Mm-hmm. Minus. Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, and one other state, right? Like it, it, if yeah. it came down to it's all Pennsylvania and the margins are super narrow, then that they had a play lined up ready to go with the Supreme Court, right? That 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 in terms of going back and invalidating mail-in ballots, yeah. and they would have tried to do that. And we would be left in a situation where things are much more ambiguous. Yeah. And they may have stopped a count and it might yep. have gone to court and then it could have ended up with a with a Bush v. Gore situation. They, yeah. they were trying to do that. And the reason they can't pull off that play is because it's not six to three, it's 21 to three, right? It is, we voted in numbers too big for them to manipulate and you deserve 100% of the credit. You know, we can bring Rudy on the field now. We can bring Rudy Rudiger out, uh, you know, (laughs) up enough. Rudy, Rudy. That's that's where we're at, basically, with these lawsuits. Well, thank you so much for explaining this, because I really just wanted to let everybody off the hook and let everyone know. Because yesterday it was letting everybody off the faithless electors hook, because that's not going to happen. And today it was letting everybody off the lawsuit hook. So thank you very much. Everyone, check out opening arguments. You have to. My good friend, Andrew Torres, thanks for joining me. Uh, Thank you, as always, for having me. It has been a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Everybody stick around. We'll be back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this portion of the podcast is brought to you by the coolest thing ever, The New Yorker. I love The New Yorker. Since I was young, I remember seeing my first copy. I was captivated by the graphic style, the art design, and the cover, and, of course, the cartoons. The New Yorker has always been the cream of the crop, right, in compelling reporting and storytelling. Truth and accuracy are so important, and The New Yorker's weekly print issues and daily online articles cover a wide range of topics. There's something for everyone, right? It's politics and news, which I love, of course, but they also have international affairs or climate change and the environment, pop culture, the arts, fiction, food, humor, 
and of course, the cartoons. The New Yorker has become the daily digital destination for news and cultural coverage. Plus, they publish 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day. In addition to that, you can use their apps, read from their online archive dating all the way back to 1925, solve the crossword puzzles, and more. In both print and online digital issues, The New Yorker has content from the best writers in America today. Uh, a couple of my favorite uh, contributing writers, Gia Tolentino. Her work includes a profile on Gloria Allred. And then there's Helen Rosner, a James Beard award-winning food writer on all things gastronomic. I love her stuff. A 12-week subscription to The New Yorker is just $6, and it includes home delivery of the print edition each week, plus unlimited access to The New Yorker website. That is a 50% discount for you. And for a limited time, you can get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6. That is a savings of 50%. Plus, listeners of the podcast will receive an exclusive tote bag for free. So go to newyorker.com slash dailybeans. That's N. E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R dot com slash Daily Beans to get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 and a free tote bag. Again, that's newyorker.com slash Daily Beans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Oh, I am so glad for this Monday, Tuesday, whatever good news. I'm so, so happy. <laughs> yeah, we don't it's know. Here. It's like it's Blur's Day. We don't know what day it is. <laughs> it's Fratterday Fratter. or uh, Munderday. Whatever. The, whatever month we're in. Yeah, we're going to stop <laughs> losing count pretty soon here. So if you have good news, whether it's personal or political, and you can please just, even if you're just sending pictures of your pets and children, babies, I love babies, send them, go to dailybeanspod.com hit contact and you'll find the little thing to send everything and that's where you can do confessions good news uh, corrections if i if i've made any mistakes please let me know and of course photos so first up reverend megan i don't know if it's megan or megan lpc mdiv she her gotta get all the degrees and letters in there excellent Hey, AG, I want to thank you for your interview with Dr. Linda Seeger on November 16th. I am a clergy person in the Lutheran Church, the sect that allows women to be pastors, the ELCA. I have to admit, this is my confession, that over the years I've listened to the show, the way the podcast lumped all Christians together has put a bad taste in my mouth, and I would constantly yell at you through my computer, it's not all of us. There are many of us Christians who focus on the commandment of love your God with all your body, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors as you love God and yourself. I was happy to hear Linda Seeger share this way of approaching theology and a relationship with a creator. Like her, I have many MAs <laughs> that are needed for my caregiving jobs. I am a solo pastor of a small elderly congregation in Chicago. I work as a chaplain and bereavement coordinator for a hospice. And I'm a licensed therapist and work for a private practice and see clients each week. And my side job right now is that I'm working on running for alderman in my ward of the city. Nice. Sweet. My, my life and work is service. And I see how hard this virus and lack of stimulus, a stimulus package is hurting many, many people. There are a lot of progressive religious folks who feel our voice and faith is drowned out and actually not invited into the progressive party. We are going to take the Bible and religious votes back from evangelicals, progressives, people of faith need to share the way we come to our relationship with a creator and how we are called to care of others, uh, to care for others and the world because of our faith. And we need to be given a space at the table without judgment that we're, you know, wackadoos or a judgy people. 
progressive Christians are not like evangelicals at all, she says, period, 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 period. The way we approach the Bible, our faith, our prayer, living our faith is so very different. And there's a focus on love and openness. There's a progressive value. There are progressive values, too. If you want to know where to begin to find allies, you can look at main, mainline denominations like ELCA, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, UCC, UU, Methodist. These churches are full of people that are tired of having their moral votes being ignored because everyone is so focused on the evangelical vote. I get called a baby killer because I'm a pastor who votes Democratic, not by my church people, thankfully. It becomes exhausting. My soul gets weary. We progressive Christians have been fighting for decades, and we will fill the social gaps each uh, and every time a Republican administration takes away funding from social programs. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. We women clergy are some of the biggest badasses I know. We work in a male-oriented profession, and we get our calling questioned daily. We are fighters who don't quit. We are survivors because there is always someone who wants us out of our job. We know our shit because we have to. We know how to community organize because we need support of our communities to have our churches do outreach that matters for our areas. Each month, my group of 45 fixed income parishioners goes above and beyond to make sure people in our community have their basic needs met during this very trying time. We know how to network and connect people. We are excellent political organizers. If you will welcome us into the progressive fold and not make us have to fight for a space. Again, thank you for this interview. It was amazing to hear someone that speaks my specific values on the Daily Beans. Photos I'm including, Val, my puppers, my sermon writing companion. She's so excited for Christmas. So am I. Oh my God, I love Christmas. And a photo of me in my pastor garb, wearing a mask and prepping to video record my virtual worship service. Take care and stay safe. Look at this baby. Oh my goodness. (gasps) Oh, there's more. Oh, both of them. I really, really, really love this submission for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, Megan, and I do hope you're listening. First of all, that was so well said and so heartfelt. And so thank you. Um, I'm, I'm of Jewish faith. Um, and it's all very confusing why I don't understand some Jews that voted for Trump, but you know, that goes way back to religious stuff too. Um, I had the pleasure of listening to an interview with actually an evangelical Christian, uh, that was explaining the different, and uh, this is going to sound like I'm saying sex, but I'm not sects of the evangelical, um, movement and how that mm. this evangelical movement, even in of itself, there is a sect that is very much still the teachings of Christ and what it, what it used to mean, like hanging out with the gypsies and the gays and the, you know, the, all of those people and, and helping the, the poor. And, yes. Yeah, right. Um, unfortunately yeah. there's that other sect that's more public, that's getting more of the money. That's the Jerry Falwells and all this other bullshit that took over politics. And this guy was talking about how frustrating it was because he was part of that really public bastardized sect of evangelicalism that was taking over politics. Um, and he really was like, wait, this is not who I am. I don't believe in this stuff. So he started to pull back and started to pull back. And then he did the same thing sort of like Megan saying is that he's a Christian and a good man of God, and he still believes in all of this stuff. Uh, but this is not what he fights for. So he actually started speaking out more and he had a conversation with Jim Obergefell because he was in Washington, oh. D.C. during that case of Obergefell versus Hodges. And oh, Jim had a conversation with him that literally broke his fight 
against marriage equality because Jim talked about his partner and their love. And this it's, it, it's, it's having that conversation with Jim that this man literally in tears to me because I told him Jim was a friend said, can you please send him a message and just tell him I'm so sorry. And that he's taught me so much. And it was just such an incredible conversation to have. So I love the submission. Yeah. Thank And thank you. I, I really had um, an incredible talk with Dr. Linda Seeger um, about her, her book. Jesus Rode a Donkey is the name of her yeah. book. Um, meaning Jesus is a Democrat. Yeah. Like a progressive. And, you know, I don't mean to put a party on it. But, um, you know, somebody that uh, has progressive values. And um, it was a really, really wonderful conversation. I'm glad I had it. And Megan, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So and thank you for this. Seriously, thank you for this submission. It, it fills my heart with joy. Seriously. On a comedian side that that statement, I love that love, like love thy neighbor, like you love like yourself. I'm like, ah, I think I'm gonna make my neighbor very happy if I do that. It's been <laughs> yeah. a long fucking pandemic. We're all like self deprecating assholes. So we're like, mm, you don't want that. Neighbor. No, I'm talking about something else. I mean, if I love my neighbor, like I love oh. myself, I'm gonna have a very happy oh, neighbor. Hey. <laughs> I thought you were doing some self-deprecating comedian no, stuff. Every nope, once nope, in a while, I, I'm not, and it shocks everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not self-deprecating. I call it self-defecating because that's when we shit on ourselves. Oh, that's my favorite thing to say, right. self-deprecating and comments. S- and psychophants. Yep, yeah, exactly. All right, it. we've got more good news in addition to Megan's, which I love. This one comes from Jen, pronouns she and her. As you know, this year has been a dumpster fire, but a few good things have actually happened to me. I recently accepted a compliance position for a major beverage producer and, distri- and distributor. While I will be breaking into a whole new industry at 40 years old, I will have a ton to learn and confident that my 15 years of combined legal and compliance experience will serve me well. My other good news is that my son is rocking it in first grade. He started a new private Christian school this year because they were able to accommodate students five days a week due to smaller class sizes and large classroom spaces. He has ADHD and that is currently well managed with medication and the structure of the Christian school environment has helped him thrive. Attaches my pod pet Cody, uh, who is a Belgian Malinois. Malinois. Oh, it even tells me how to say it. Malinois. Oh, there's a thing. Oh, there's a helpful guy. Yes, that was. thank you for that very much. Uh, uh, She is obsessed with playing fetch and is hyper as fuck, uh, just like my son. So they're perfect for each other. God, that puppy's cute. Yeah, um, I have a German Shepherd dog very close to a Belgian Malinois, just hyper as fuck until they're about two and a half. And then sometimes they chill. I have never, ever seen my dog sleep. Just two and a half. That's really funny. Cody's cute. I love that name for a dog, too. What a honey. The ears are the best. Okay. Uh, Next up, we have a correction from Claudia. In the episode titled Faithless Electors, AG said that Angus King is the independent senator from Vermont. Oh, I already know what's coming. He's the independent senator from Maine. (laughs) Whoopsie. (laughs) Love, love, love the show. It makes everything feel better. The sense of true community is fostered. It's priceless. Thank you so very much, Claudia. I knew that, and I I still fucked it up. You're right. Sorry. Angus King. Maine. Maina. He's going to come into your doyad. (laughs) All right, what's next? All right, we've got Marcella. This one's for Marcella, uh, pronoun she and her. Dear Beans Queens, long-time listener, first-time writer, inner, sharing a bit of good news from a Sunday of elections here in Brazil. 
Several minority and left-leaning candidates were elected in major metropolitan centers, and since we have a two-round system, several more candidates have qualified for the second day of voting on November 25th. In the time since I started paying proper attention to politics, I have never been, I've never seen so many black women, LGBTQ people and indigenous people voted in, especially not in a single round. It makes my heart happy to see Brazilians take a page out of the U.S.'s book and we showed up to our, do our part in protecting our country from our Trump-like dictator. Love the show. Thanks for all you do. A-D-G-G Damn it, I messed up my own initials. Love the show and <laughs> love the show and thanks for all you do. A-G-D-G That's me. And Amy. I like how she spelled dictator D-I-C-K. Yep. Tater. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Uh, next up from Gavin, pronouns he and him. Good morrow to the providers of my morning news legumes. As parents of young'uns, four-year-old and eight-month-old, all. My wife and I don't get much sleepy, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> we both work full-time. She's teaching college from home, and I outdoors maintaining ponds and lakes. Between that and keeping the house together... We pretty well run ourselves ragged. Because she loves me and venison, she graciously wrangles both kids while I go hunting once in a while. The secret I keep from her. I spend a couple... Oh, because I have so many listeners that hunt for venison and have a four-year-old and an eight-month-old. Oh, and your name is Gavin. You've already told me. This isn't even a secret. <laughs> Here's the secret I keep from her. I spend a couple hours of each trip afield asleep in the woods. Oh. It's a good thing tree stands come with safety harnesses. She might be catching on to me, though, as the freezer remains unusually empty. <laughs> Attached, find the requisite picture of our pet humans, Marilla and Theo, and their pet rabbits, Fuji and Crispin. Oh, oh. fuck off. Look at this picture of this baby playing with rabbits in the yard. Thanks for giving me the news in a way that keeps me from going off the deep end. Look what? I know. Those rabbits are bigger than the baby. Those are huge rabbits. They're very large rabbits. That's like a 20-pound rabbit. That's a big-ass rabbit. Oh, oh and the baby. Oh, oh the, baby. the baby. Man, oh, man. The little babies, they still get me. They still get me. <laughs> okay. All right, next good news comes from Anonymous, pronouns he and him. My good news is four years in the making. While we all witness binders full of women transform their righteous indignation into empowered activism, I witnessed the evolution of my partner from mildly political at best into a tenacious political activist no one knew was inside her. Evidence? Where do I start? How about being elected as Arizona delegate to the DNC? We could instead start with her devotion to Bethel Road, to the Beto Ward, Ward Road Warriors. Jesus, people. <laughs> the Beto Ward... Try it, A.G., just twice. Beto Road Warriors. That's hard. Yes. That's hard. All right, the Beto Road Warriors. Um, Unique New York. Yep. Red leather, yellow leather. Caucusing yeah. in Iowa and Nevada or spending 10 days... At 10 hours a day, eight days straight up to election day phone banking in Texas down balloters. Or we could start with our multiple trips to El Paso, protesting child separation and providing learning materials at El Hondo Pass and Clinton detention facilities. Together, we, wa oh. we walked up to the starting line in 2016. Yet right now, not even figured out where to start, I see only a billowing cloud of dust in front of me. God, I love the submission and this love between this couple. All right. So but I'm good. proud to know that on the other side of that cloud with clarity of purpose and compassionate commitment is my partner of 27. I'm going to cry. It's, it's my partner of 27 years, Stacy Pinkson. 
man, oh man. I do love that this was put in by an anonymous person who just named his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, your husband's quite Mr. Pinkston. Paging Mr. Yeah. As two thirds of America try to weave together silver linings from the last four years. Save a place in the center of the tapestry for women like my wife, who stood oh up and said, God. hell to the fucking no, you sorry-ass piece of goddamn motherfucking shit. Okay, this is one of the best written submissions. You know, seriously, whoever this person is, obviously it's Stacey Pinkton's husband, <laughs> you, are, you are quite the writer, first of all. And this is just fabulous. I have half a mind to call this episode Stacey Pinkston's husband. <laughs> I don't know if I should do oh my that. god, this is fantastic. This really is fantastic. Yeah. Save a place in the center of the tapestry for women like my wife? That what, what? who who stood up and said, Hell to the fucking no, you sorry ass piece of goddamn motherfucking shit. I love this so much. I actually want the front of a t shirt to say save a place in the center of the tapestry for women like my wife. And on the back, I want it to say hell to the fucking no, you sorry piece of goddamn motherfucking shit. Oh, I love that. This is is a great way to end the. I mean, what a great way to end the episode. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much. Anonymous (laughs) husband of Stacey Pinkston. I'm assuming husband Um, could be partner actually. No, because his wife could be a partner. Yep. Just partner. Not even know if it's a husband. Who knows? You're right. Just a partner. Partner. I was just going by the he him. I'm just I need to I need to update my life. Okay. I've been around it years longer than you, honey. So yeah, you were you don't you get passes because it's a, a lot about intent. It's not just about the words. It's the intent behind. Yeah, and I think um, listeners of this show know that they can tell me anytime if something bothers them, and I will change it. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you can do that at dailybeanspod.com if you have a correction for me, or if you want to submit some good news, just send me some photos um, of your pod pets or your kids, whatever, uh, your house, your farm, cornfields. I love it. Just send them. Uh, we need the good news. We need all the good news that we can get. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I'm just, I actually feel really full of hope right now. These, these confessions and good news at the end of this episode lit me up. So thank you. Yeah, me too. Everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.